bees, hummingbirds, and even wasps. Pollination by animals is seen across the world and is an important symbiotic relationship that not only increases plants' genetic diversity, but also the plant's fertilization success rate. A recent paper has revealed that this relationship is not unique to pollen-producing plants. It is also found in the dioecious red alga, Gracilaria gracilaris. Their findings raise all sorts of questions like, did pollination and animal-influenced plant reproduction originate on Earth with bees or millions of years earlier at the bottom of the ocean? Come with us now as we explore this and more on Ocean Science Radio. Welcome back to Ocean Science Radio, the podcast that brings you the latest, greatest, and sometimes deepest stories in the ocean. I am ocean and climate science communication specialist, Andrew Kornblatt. And I am shark scientist, aquanaut, and aspiring badass, Francis Farabaugh. Before we begin, we really should point out that today's podcast episode doesn't really touch on pollinators per se, since red algae don't actually produce pollen. But the title ocean pollinators. People really resonate with pollinators. I know, but we don't want to be disingenuous or spreading misinformation. The real science here is that an experiment was created to see if tiny creatures could spread the gametes of red algae. On today's episode, we welcome Miriam Valero and Emma Laveau, who conducted that study with some pretty incredible results. Uh, my name is Miriam Valero. I am a researcher. I am a population geneticist and I'm responsible of uh, an international laboratory between uh, Chile and France, uh, working on uh, many aspects about the reproduction of uh, marine seaweed. And uh, so I'm uh, Emma Lavo. I'm a PhD student in the in surgery PhD and uh, and I'm a marine biologist. Miriam has been working on studying the genetic population and propagation of red algae for a very long time. In fact, I am following the demography and the population genetic of this red algae, asking many evolutionary questions about the way this alga is reproducing. So the particular life cycle of this algae lead me to ask questions about how uh, fertilization could be favored in this uh, algae. And uh, then we write PhD project addressing specifically this question. And Emma is uh, <laughs> the, the PhD student working on that question. Yes, so uh, yeah, I work on, uh, on this question because it was a part of my PhD subject. And um, the whole PhD was about... Uh, the reproduction of the Cracillaria gracilis and to study different aspects of the gamete encounter um, in natural population. And uh, one of the questions was about the existence of biotic interaction that could uh, enhance the fertilization. Something to keep in mind here, as we have covered with seaweed in past episodes, is that many ocean plant species are broadcast spawners. They release their gametes into the sea and rely on the motion of the ocean to help with the fertilization process. In fact, most of the marine organisms do rely in the water, into the water, their male and female gametes. 
and their male and female gametes are flagellated, so they are motile. So it is mainly the water movement that are responsible for the fertilization. And uh, most of the fertilization that occur in the marine environment, the main problem is how to synchronize the liberation of the male and female gamete for fertilization. But once they are liberated, they can find their way and uh, for the fertilization because they are motile and within the water, okay? While in the case of the red algae, only the male gametes are liberated and they are not flagellated. So the question is how can these find their way to the female uh, individual? Probably water movement can uh, be involved in that, like the wind in the higher plants. But if uh, the, the, the process of gamete encounter could be uh, enhanced by the uh, mean to increase the chance of uh, gamete encounter by the mean of, uh, of transporter that can be uh, an animal, then this will increase fertilization. And this is why there is a similarity between the plants and the red algae. Let's take a moment to elaborate on what Miriam means by flagellated and liberated gametes. By liberated, she is saying that the red algae are releasing their male gametes into the water column. When a gamete is flagellated, it has flagellum. Think of like the tail of a sperm. So when Miriam talks about red algae being not flagellated but liberated, she is saying that they are drifting in the water column with little to no means of transport other than the current. In fact, the life cycle of the red algae is very different of what we usually find in marine organisms because the male gametes are liberated, but they are not flagellated. That is, that they are not motile, and the female gametes are not liberated. So in that aspect, this life cycle is very similar to the higher plants in which you have the pollen that are not flagellated and that needs to be transported to the female gametes that are not liberated. It is uh, the similarity that we see between the red algae and the plants. And we were searching for the biotic interaction that may carry the male gametes to the female plants in order to complete the fertilization. So, it is not a true pollination, as we should say, because in fact, there is no pollen in seaweed. It is male gametes, so it is very different from what you can find in higher plants. But it is the mechanisms that is involved in the transportation of the male gamete to the female individual that makes us talk about fertilization. Before we go much further, it is important to remember that there are some species in the ocean that rely on pollination, but what Miriam and Emma focused on was specifically red algae. Here's Miriam. In the paper, we are only working on the red algae species, that is Gracilaria gracilis, and we mention only these species. What we say in the paper is that the occurrence of pollinator in the sea in that sense, it is really true pollinator, was mentioned before our work. It was mentioned by a Mexican team and the four flower plants that are in the sea. So this, are, this is the sea grasses. 
So these plants are really flowering plants. So they produce pollen. And uh, in their work, they, they show that uh, there were animals that were able to transport the pollen grain to the female flower. So this was uh, found in a higher plant in the sea. It is exactly the same system than in the land, but nobody before this publication that was published very recently in 2016 never looked for pollination because of the dogma that fertilization really occurs with water in the sea. In our case, in fact, it is new because red algae are a group that is very divergent from flower plants. So it is really the first time that we see a system that is equivalent to pollination in a group that is really highly uh, divergent from the flower plants. So Emma and Miriam set up an experiment looking specifically at a very tiny little creature that grazes on red algae. It's a little crustacean, which is an isopod. So it we chose this um, this species because uh, it was very the most uh, frequent animal that we find in association with this algae, and there is also several studies that already um, study some uh, relation aspect between this animal and and this red algae species. Yeah, we cannot affirm yet this, the fertilization in red algae is totally dependent on isopods because uh, water also uh, play a role in gamete and counter. And uh, we do not uh, study in, uh, in our study that uh, what are the effects of the isopod pollination? Probably there is both the effect of water in pollination and the, in fertilization and the effect of the animals. But this is true also for the higher plant, for example, we found that most of the plants that are pollinated by animals are also wind pollinated. And there is not a unique and restrict, except for restricted number of species in which you have really high specialization between the pollinator and the plants. But most of the plants that are pollinated by an animal are also wind pollinated. So we think that we have both system of fertilization in our case, we don't know the respective importance of both phenomena. What we discuss is that as the algae is present on the shore, it is present on the rocky pools that are always emerged. So the individuals, the red algae, are always in the water, even at low tide. But in fact, the water movements are very low at low tide compared to the water movement at high tide. And uh, we have some uh, uh, experiments that show that uh, fertilization occurs mainly at low tide. So it doesn't mean that there is no fertilization at high tide, but most of the fertilization occurs at low tide when the water movement are minimum. And we think then that the role of the idotea or the isopod are particularly important at low tide. So it may be uh, really important for this algae. Then this is the case of Gracilaria gracilis. And uh, in fact, we cannot generalize that to all the red algae uh, of the earth. So I think that it is really necessary to um, implement the same kind of study in other reds in order to see uh, what is the importance of animal 
mediated fertilization in the race in general. Before we take a deeper dive into how this particular species of red algae reproduces, let's hear from this episode's sponsor, the fantastic book, Memoir of a Mad Scientist. Memoir of a Mad Scientist, a trend-setting new novel by Dugongs and Sea Dragon's own Aaron Anderson. Join us in a science fiction world where the Coalition's interplanetary empire rules with an iron fist and Dr. Jerry and Voss works in research and development. Voss's world will be changed by an accident victim that opens Voss's eyes to the evil he works for. His world turned upside down. Will Voss stay loyal to the Coalition or rebel? <laughs> Trying to survive in an evil empire would drive anyone mad. Join the madness now. Available on Amazon. Read it. It was written by Erin, who's our friend, and she's really cool. She is really cool. We really like she's- her. And we're back. So what is the actual relationship between these tiny isopods and red algae? What are you looking at exploring here? First, we are very interesting to go deeper in uh, looking at, we suppose that there is mutualistic relationship between the isopod and the red algae we study. So this is due to the fact that by other experiments, we know that the isopod is grazing on the gracilaria. So it is not really eating gracilaria, but uh, it's the, the microalgae or the epiphytes that are growing on the branch of the red algae. So doing that, it feeds on the red and it has also the same uh, color and the same shape of the little branching of the red algae, so it can also hide in the red algae from the predators. So this is the advantage of the, of the idotea. So in reverse, the, of course, the, the algae, uh, the advantage is to increase fertilization, but also it has been shown that uh, by feeding on the algae, the isopod is cleaning the surface of the algae, and then it allows the algae to grow better. So there is an advantage for the both partners, but we want to look further on this aspect. For example, if the isopod is um, increasing the liberation of male gametes, for example, or an experiment also to see how the system is efficient to prevent the isopod from the predator. We also want to to look at um, what is the stage because we know that uh, the isopod can be found in other algae, like green or brown algae, but we want to look if there is a specific stage of the life cycle that is observed in Gracilaria. So we have many questions like that, uh, trying to really better understand the mutualistic relationship. So this is the first aspect. The second aspect, and uh, in fact, uh, Emma was... uh, the aim was that Emma um, look at that, but because of the COVID, she could not do it because we are in an, an international lab. And so the objective at the beginning was not only to work on the European species of Gracilaria and animals, but to work also on the Chilean species that we also know very well. So it's a Chilean species of Gracilaria in which we also uh, observe that there is some animals that can uh, play the role of uh, pollinator in bracket. 
And then uh, this is uh, some experiments that are going to be made very soon in order to see at least in a, in a genus very close to, to the species we study, if we can find the same kind of relationship for uh, uh, fertilization. So this is the, the, the things in which you are working now. Okay, so on to the actual experiment. How did that get set up? What was the methodology? Let's give it to Emma. Okay, so we um, designed our experiment with two questions, because we, we were asking two questions. And uh, the, so the first question was to um, establish if there was an, an effect of the isopod on the fertilization in red algae. And the second question was to know if the if the isopod can transport the male gametes directly on their body, like the like the pollinators in in terrestrial uh, environment, we make an experiment in which we put um, male and female algae in presence or in absence of isopod, and then we recorded the number of uh, fertilization that occur in um, tanks, and we compare it. So the first result was that we obtained much more fertilization in the presence of isopods. In fact, 20 times more uh, fertilization in the presence of isopods. Uh, for answer to the second question, we put uh, isopods only with um, male algae. So uh, to allow the isopods to cover off male gametes on their body. And then we transfer the isopods only with the female uh, algae. And then we see that there is fertilization that uh, also occur. So um, it, uh, it proved that uh, fertilization can occur by the direct transport of male gametes on the body of the isopods. We make also a, a control condition to uh, make sure that the, this fertilization were not only due to the transfer of male gametes by the, the manipulator during the experiment. And uh, we also see with um, confocal microscopy that uh, the isopods were covering were all covered with uh, male gametes. So while Emma and Miriam's experiment is the first time an animal has been observed fertilizing an algae, this discovery extends the scope of species that use this reproductive strategy. And it also really raises questions about whether it first evolved on land or in the sea. All right, one thing to add here about the actual date of emergence of animal-mediated fertilization in red algae. Again, we're not sure when this happened, but if it's a very old event, this type of fertilization should be widespread across many different types of red algae. On the contrary, if it's a recent event, it should be confined only to certain closely related species belonging to the same phylogenetic group. This is why it is very important to test for animal-mediated fertilization in many different species of red algae, and why there's a lot more work to do. Good luck getting the fossil records for that. Well, this has been just a phenomenal episode that has blown my mind on cute, tiny ocean critters and their evolved relationships in helping plants and algae reproduce in the ocean. Big thanks to you, our guests, Emma and Miriam, for joining us and dealing with my terrible attempt at speaking French in our conversation. And a big thanks to you, our listeners. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share our podcast with your friends, families, and professional networks. We look forward to seeing you next time on an all-new Ocean Science Radio.
something to keep in mind here, as we have covered with seaweed in past episodes, is that many ocean plant species are broadcast spawners. They release their gametes into the sea and rely on the motion of the ocean to help with the fertilization process. Of course, I'm going to use the phrase motion of the ocean as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. 